All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we're going to be going over some futures, some COVID thoughts, some thoughts on Paul George. It's going to be a great show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. So we are on the eve of the preseason, and in so it is very exciting to have basketball coming back in a matter of hours. And other than that, I mean, there hasn't been a huge, you know, trade or anything since last week. I think some of the biggest news would be, you know, the comments that Paul George made about Doc Rivers and the style of play that he had him in. Which I take with a grain of salt, you know, everybody always wants to make excuses for why they they didn't perform and, and put it on others, and Paul George is no different. Um, and with the departure of Doc Rivers, it just, just makes it an easy target, but I was surprised to see the Clippers give him a max contract that guarantees him for 226 mil for the next five years. It is in line with his statements of wanting to remain a Clipper for the rest of his career. And, you know, maybe he only has five years left. You know, maybe he has way, way more than that. But Paul George signing that contract to me means that he's going to be there for a while. What it also means to me, and I don't think a lot of people have considered this, is that he becomes more of a piece that the Clippers could be willing to flip into a player from a different team for a superstar team. Maybe they end up flipping him for Giannis should the Bucks receive some crazy package. Fortunately, the Clippers don't really have any picks in the war chest to add to a Paul George contract to flip for a Giannis or a James Harden or a Joel Embiid or, heck, even a Jimmy Butler. And now I'm just you know throwing names out here. I don't think any of these trades are really going to happen, but I think a lot of people need to consider that the Clippers now have this piece that if for whatever reason they have another performance like a pandemic p in the playoffs that they are going to want to flip and now are a bit shackled by this contract granted paul george was a force in all the playoffs he definitely was a force in okc in indiana uh and just was plagued by injuries so if he could come back and compete at a high level you know and the chemistry between him Kawhi, and the rest of this clipper squad gels up this decision could be a good decision for the Clippers to have Paul George locked in for as long as they do so that's yet to be seen um just wanted to talk about that real quick but more importantly we are beginning basketball today get excited everybody because even though it's preseason there is going to be basketball from now through the 21st with a, a brief break and then you know an exciting exciting tip off on the 22nd so we are 11 days away from playing meaningful basketball and preseason is always good to watch as gels come to uh, teams gelling together coming through the nationally televised games there, there are a few that i have circled in my calendar as as much watches but really i i don't put much stock into the speculative nature of the off season uh, so many times we get drawn into how teams look on paper, whether they acquire a new big star a la Houston Rockets and John Wall and DeBarcus Cousins, or they retool with the with some role players like the Hawks did. 
there is so much yet to be seen that has been speculated on about how these teams will fit together. If you think about how the Warriors basically have a, a brand new squad with Steph returning and Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, how those pieces fit, fit in. And it is yet to be seen how the changes both minor and major teams have done would actually, you know, either catapult them from a non-contender to, you know, a playoff team or a playoff team to somebody that misses the playoffs. It's it's yet to be seen and, and to speculate is only just gonna set people up to be wrong. That being said, you can get some pretty good indications based on what what a team has done, but I think the preseason will help solidify a lot of those. So this week I do have some futures for you guys. Um as far as just some high value bets that that I'm making that we will put a little bit later, but I always just like to talk about, you know, the fact that we haven't seen any games played yet from any of these teams. So it's really hard to evaluate them, the changes that were made, how they fit from a chemistry standpoint. So I'll be watching the preseason games, looking for that, looking for second units, third units to really help determine you know, if the win totals that I have for each team through the first half are need to be adjusted for any reason. And then there's the elephant in the room, right? We have to talk about COVID because COVID could sway this very, very much. And it will be very different than how the bubble went. And and just to backtrack, last week I talked about the impact of the newbies coming in and into the league that, that the shortened off season has had, right? Talked I just wanna lot of elaborate a bit of it, even a bit ad nauseum. I need to preface this by saying of course all the teams like the Warriors, the Hawks, the Hornets, you know, those teams that didn't make the bubble haven't played since mid mid March. Teams that mid missed playoffs haven't played since August, have plenty of rest, right? And and then you have the Lakers and the Heat who have played less than three months ago and have the most shortened rest. I get all that, especially the rest for the longer teams, and they've had plenty of time to rest and recuperate, so they should be ready to go for the season. But it still is in play that they haven't had the offseason, the training camps. If I you know we just got news for the Warriors one of those teams that two of their players James Wiseman and Draymond Green haven't been able to join camp you have the Harden situation going on in Houston where he hasn't been with his team uh, granted for reasons not you know notwithstanding COVID it's it's more so just his personal choice to to go out and and basically have some fun before you know the things get serious for his job which I I completely understand not defending him just saying I understand it that being said, the shortened offseason will obviously affect it, and very much so will COVID affect these teams to operate at full strength. Going into it, I fully expect teams to operate a little bit sloppy. Maybe you see guys a little bit more tired and exhausted. I, I think unders are a good play for a while at the beginning of the season because these teams, are I think, are just going to be, from a conditioning standpoint, gas now you throw in a player or two gets COVID and even if they recover and come back we've seen it in the NFL where players aren't coming back at full speed because of the lingering side effects of COVID going beyond the impact of just the offseason including you know the preseason being shortened down from its usual eight to two 
two games, three games for some teams, four games for some teams. Just but going beyond that, there's going to be impact on the season itself, and, and we all have to be prepared for that. Compared to the bubble, I mean, a lot of people wanted to argue an asterisk for that 2019-2020 season, and I would argue that there's less of an asterisk for that than there is potentially of this season. Last season, the asterisk was kind of wiped away because obviously we still had the full playoffs. We had... 67 of the games being played we played eight more in a bubble setting to bring the grand total to 75 so really we only lost seven games the seating didn't change too much where a team that was completely out made its way in and then you played a full regular playoffs in the bubble from a covid standpoint there was zero cases the entire time and nobody missed any games for anything other than normal basketball related injuries right it's a perfect scenario where you had all these teams in Orlando quarantined, basically living in basketball jail for, you know, an extended period of time. I think it was 100 days total from start to finish. And it's just not viable with 30 teams playing this many games because you'd literally ask them to stay in basketball jail for like five months, six months without any outside contact with just seeing the same people all the time. It, it would literally be a jail sentence for the league to set up a bubble scenario just for the NBA season to go on. And it's just not viable. So what that means is that the ideal bubble setting for is out the window, right? And now we have no bubble for the NBA teams. Teams will travel, practice in unfamiliar places, and will have the freedom to do what they want in their time away from the team. And it's not so much that, you know, I'm sure the players will be mega mindful, right? They're going to be mindful. They're going to be wearing their masks. They're going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. That being said, there's plenty of people in the country that have been doing what they're supposed to be doing and still contracted COVID because it's around every corner. There's an opp opportunity to get an outbreak where, wherever. And I get that they're going to have an exorbitant amount of testing. They even said, you know, a player who tests positive will test again in 30 minutes but resume team activities for those 30 minutes which to me if somebody tests positive they should just sit their happy ass down there and go on twitter or something for 30 minutes because in that 30 minutes where they're doing team activities whether it's a five on five whether it's working on shooting drills whether it's you know breaking down film whatever they're still around people and can expose them and and that particular protocol doesn't necessarily protect themselves or their teammates against covid caused you know reschedules and our squads playing like not at full strength this season and there will be a bigger asterisk this season if let's say a player like steph curry a player like Giannis, a player like lebron james gets a positive covid test and has to miss 10 days 14 days well then that means that they are likely missing seven, eight, nine games, which is 10% of the season for a non-basketball-related injury. And if your whole team gets it and they have to cancel a bunch of games and move them and yada, 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 and they extend the season, well, technically, those guys that didn't have COVID on, on the team are going to be more rested. So let's say a player like Danny Green for Philly 
gets COVID, and so does Seth Curry. So now, you know, two of your role players who you thought were going to get big minutes have COVID, but, you know, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, they're good to go and they can play, but they just have to wait because their games are being postponed. They're going to be well-rested when they come into a game and potentially avoid a tough back-to-back where, you know, one night they play the Cavaliers and then they have a back-to-back where they play the Lakers the next day at home. And now that game has been moved because of COVID and they have, you know, a larger chance of winning. That being said, I'm not saying that they can't beat the Lakers. Like the Philly, Philly could beat the Lakers whenever. But what I'm saying is if they can avoid a tough back-to-back, their season may look better because of COVID, these COVID than if they are just able to play through this this season. Honestly, I wish there was a way to bet somehow how many games will have to be moved or postponed or canceled for each team. I think my personal over-under is going to be set at four. I think four in the first 37, 38, depending on uh, you know what exactly is the protocol for postponing games. Um because we saw, you know, like a couple weeks ago, the NFL treated the Broncos harshly when their QB unit, uh, you know, was seen on film without masks and basically breaking the, the health and safety protocols. And then they had to come in contact with people that had COVID and they made them play with no quarterbacks. And they had a, like a, a, a wide receiver drafted off the practice squad starting at quarterback. So if the league treats them like the Broncos, then... You know, we'll, we won't see a lot of games postponed, but we will see teams racking up L's in the, uh, in that column. Uh, but if they treat the games like they did Ravens-Steelers, on the other hand, then I think the number of postponed and canceled games would be much higher. If, for those of you that remember, and sorry to cross over to NFL, but, you know, it's just relevant. The Ravens-Steelers game was bumped from, you know, Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. We had like Wednesday night football so that the Ravens and the Steelers game could still happen. Granted, you know, Lamar Jackson wasn't able to come back. They had to play RG3. But at the same time, that was a highly competitive game. And then the league knew that and was willing to, you know, not punish the team by postponing and moving the game. So based on the national NBA TV schedule, I get the feeling that there are certain teams, games, and matchups that the league is going to be willing to look the other way to keep the eyeballs of the fans everywhere. And it's kind of true. I mean, right now, they need as many viewers tuning in as possible. We've all heard about the ratings problems, quote unquote, that are going across the board. I personally just think that a lot of people in my generation aren't paying for cable or aren't paying for league pass. We're finding ways to get to our games either through legal means or illegal means. Maybe we piggyback off our parents' accounts. Maybe we, you know, stream it illegally through the the internet and are not being accounted for. So it's basically just the older generation who still has cable and still buys League Pass. But at the same time, the league wants to keep as many of these games as possible to keep the eyeballs on the league. As it stands, among the protocols, there's an expected number of cases that would not require the league to suspend the season while any player who tests positives will have to sit out for 10 games and then be monitored for an additional two days before being eligible to play. 
So this brings back into play, like if LeBron tests positive and he has to sit out for 10 to 12 days, the, the Lakers team is significantly made worse. And I doubt LeBron is going to be doing anything to get himself in that position, but it's, it's really a polarizing point. Additional protocols include a limit on, you know, 45 total people in the travel party when, when teams have have road games 45 does seem like a lot uh they have rules for dining on the road games the the nba is going to supply a pre-approved list of places that these these teams can go and just just to put a whole bow on this covid thing i mean the, the protocols are in place to try and make lemonade out of out of lemons and inevitably the nba show must go on right so they have to have the season so that way next season they can get back to a semblance of normalcy but i'll be damned if the this 2021 season doesn't get remembered as the covid season more so than last year being the bubble season right especially if we have you know outbreaks after outbreaks so whether this is either going to be a great season and we avoid all that and it's you know the case number is low like the bubble situation well bubble is zero but low still relatively for how much more traveling that they're doing or is this going to be the season that's mired by corona out virus outbreaks and protocols and fines and all that stuff that really distracts from the actual basketball all that is yet to be seen but that's just my two cents on it let's take a quick break We'll come back, and I got some futures for you guys before we get out of here. All right, we're back. So, win totals, again, similar to what I said at the top of the show. We want to wait to see how these teams gel a bit in the preseason before we make any substantial wagers as far as win totals go and next week i'll be giving you guys some plays on on some different win totals and really make that the focus uh breaking down each team's over and under and then where exactly i see the map but this week i wanted to focus on all the ancillary awards and give you guys my picks and some value plays for sure on on where i see that going so starting with the mvp award I mean, we have all the usual suspects in the top running uh, for this, you know, uh, in in the best odds with Giannis and LeBron, Steph Curry's up there, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, you know, all the all the big names, all the star names, Jokic, all have a shot at winning the MVP award. I think Anthony Davis and LeBron James don't have a shot at it as long as they play together because much like the the Warriors team that had Steph and KD on it, as good as one plays, it distracts from the, the good of the other. And if you take them off the team, the team is still pretty good for the Lakers team. So I don't think either of them is going to win. Unfortunately, the the loss of Klay Thompson leads me to believe that Steph Curry is going to have to have a much bigger piece of the workload. Looking at their schedule, they do have a bit of an easier schedule, the Warriors do, and at plus 700, I feel good about the Steph Curry MVP odds. 
That being said, I think he would be a bigger shoe in for a comeback player of the year award, but it would be very eye-opening if last year having pretty much the worst record in the Western Conference, maybe even in the league with the absence of Steph and Clay and KD, for Steph to come back and elevate this team to where I have them projected, which is like a two seed or a three seed, and really put up some big numbers the way he did before, he has a really good shot at winning the MVP award. And at a plus 700, meaning for every dollar you bet, you'd win seven, I think he, he's high value for the MVP award. But I do think it is a bit of a long shot uh, just because it really depends on how he comes back and how, how much he elevates his play. Maybe I'm being a bit of a homer here in my belief in Steph, but I do think you know it's pretty common knowledge that he revolutionized the game and pushed it towards a more three-centric league. Kevin Durant, I don't think he's going to come back and do and play that way on the defensive end. That would really uh, attribute him to being MVP. I could see him being maybe like a leading scorer. Giannis, the story, three-time MVP. It hasn't been done, I don't think, since like Larry Bird did it in the 80s. And I think that the narrative and, you know, around having a three-peat MVP be Giannis, I don't I don't think it's gonna go into play. I think the safest bet for this award is gonna be Luka Doncic. I think he just continues to elevate his game on a year in, year out basis. So through two years he's just done incredibly well in this Dallas team who have a bit of a similar problem in the Lakers in that they have Kristaps Przingis, but at the same time Luca's assist numbers, his points, his his just usage rate is all going to contribute to his ability to get this award done. So I'm going to place two bets on this NBA MVP award, and the first of which is going to be Steph Curry at plus 700. I think that's some really nice value, and I think that night and day to take this Warriors team from zero to hero relies solely on him. And then my other bet would be Luka Doncic. I think in his third year, now that he's used to the league and how it operates, and he's going to work his Luka magic to go, so he's a much safer bet at plus 350. It seems the odds makers agree with me that third year is going to be a really good good year for Luka. That's it on the NBA MVP award. The next would be the rookie of the year. The fate, odds-on favorite here is LaMelo Ball. On the Hornets, it's clear that he's going to have a big role. But at the same time, I I just don't see it because I just honestly, the Hornets aren't going to be a good enough team unless, you know, LaMelo is able to carry them to a playoff seed and even further, I don't see LaMelo Ball. Granted, last year we saw Zion Williamson play what 20 out of 67 games and he and he finished i believe second or potentially third so i know a lot of this is just whoever people pick as their favorite but with that being said i have a couple of picks here that i think would be of of, of high value i really like cole anthony at plus 2500 i think he's gonna he's gonna fit into his team well and 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 make some showings but i don't think that's gonna cash Killian Hayes has already secured a starting role on the Detroit Pistons, so at plus 700, you know he's at least going to be getting a ton of minutes. 
and be really able to showcase what he does. I think he's going to have a similar rookie year to maybe like Kobe White did, where he's going to make some a name, have some big games, but ultimately, you know, not really be in the running for rookie of the year. I think Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick, going to Minnesota, having a starting role, he is likely to draw the eyeballs that are needed to win this award. And at plus 550, I think that he has some really good return for what can be bet on. Um, so I'd go with Anthony Edwards over anybody else if you're only going to pick one. I think for a long shot, you know, bet a dollar to win 250. You know, Cole Anthony is is a good pick as well, just for the just for the long shot purposes. Um, but Anthony Edwards at plus 550, I think, is is the way to go for rookie of the year. Uh, throw five bucks on it, win 25. You know, that's one of those bets that you just kind of set it and forget it. And, and, you know, of course, we'll be giving you updates on rookies. You know how I like to track them and, and let you guys know who's doing well and go there. My homer pick for rookie of the year is Malachi Flynn for the Raptors. I just love what he was able to do on, at SDSU. I mean, he transformed that program into a 30-2 and two entity last year and really just didn't get his chance to shine in the NCAA tournament. So uh, if the Raptors find a way to use him in big minutes and big games, he has the ability both from a scoring and a passing standpoint to take down this award. And at plus 6,000, it could be another one of those Cole Anthony long shot value plays. Um, so those are my picks for rookie of the year. Let's move on. Coach of the year. There's really only going to be one pick here that I think is worth it, and it's already come down a bit in in value because I think a lot of people are betting this one. But Monty Williams at plus, well, now it's plus 900. It was plus 1,000 when I bet it. Um, having taken over the Phoenix Suns last year, instantly catapulted them into a contender, albeit they were plagued by injuries, and a 25-game suspension to DeAndre Ayton at the beginning of the season, I think that Phoenix is poised in a position. They have the front office and the coach gelling, working together. Robert Sarver, I think, has finally decided that you know it's worth it to spend some money to put some pieces together so that the Suns can win a championship. And, you know, flipping, you know, Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio for the pieces that they did really helped bolster this team and I think the Suns are in a good position to make a solid run and at plus a thousand you know Monty Williams for coach of the year is is a spectacular pick all everybody else that's favorited is just one of the big obviously title contenders so the Lakers coach Frank Vogel Ty Lue for the Clippers Eric Spolster for the Heat Brad Stevens for Boston Rick Carlisle for Dallas and I think a lot of the times this award goes to people that turn nothing into something so last year it went to Nick Nurse for Toronto for losing Kawhi and still retaining the one seed for Toronto and honestly nobody else on this list really has done that like lost a great player and then is expected to do you know great things from it um so with that being said i mean unless the knicks somehow make the playoffs under tom thibodeau with all their weird pieces um none of these people are are, are gonna win i don't think so monty williams is a solid bet at plus 1000 um to go ahead you basically get 10 to 1 odds that he's gonna win and 
go from there. Now, alternatively, you could see Steve Nash sneak it in, and Steve Nash is honestly the, the favorite right now at plus 700. I don't know. I just don't. I Something about the Nets team worries me about how all these pieces come together with the shortened offseason, with, you know, Kyrie being the kind of diva that he is, KD being the diva that he is. Um, great basketball players on the court, but they tend to draw a lot of ire from the media and things like that. And unless Steve Nash is totally able to squash all that and give, you know, Phil Jackson Zen vibes to his whole team, and then they 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 would have to be the number one overall seed, like between both conferences. Um and just be playing a really high level of basketball for for Steve Nash to win. So Monty Williams is my pick. I'm sticking with it, and and that's where we're gonna go here. Next three awards, I just I really hate because they're even if the the tangibles are there, it's generally the intangibles that lead people to win this game or win this award. So the you know NBA Defensive Player of the Year, the Most Improved Player, and the Sixth Man of the Year are very, very much subjective versus objective. And let me give you an example. For the Defensive Player of the Year, Andre Drummond, now hear me out here, Andre Drummond was leading the league in blocks and rebounds one year, and the award went to Rudy Gobert. The award has gone to Marcus All. The award has gone to Draymond Green, and that year I think it was actually worth it because he was six seven and he was you know playing center and he was shutting down a lot of people on that 2015-2016 Warriors team. That being said, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, Giannis, like these big big centers are the shoe ins for this award currently, right? Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, they are the players that end up obviously rim protecting grabbing a lot of boards so they have the tangibles to back up the intangibles they have to protect the lane things like that but it is very subjective as well this is a team sport so if somebody blows their coverage then well you got to help and if somebody scores on you after helping then well you know that's not really your fault because you're not the one that blew the coverage i still have to pick somebody to win this award so I, I wouldn't mind it going to Giannis at plus 400. I think that's a solid, solid bet. Um, and if I had to pick a long shot player to win it, the longest shot I, I can really see myself doing would be Bam Adebayo at plus 800. And he's the fourth favorite here at eight to one odds. So, you know, Giannis is the play at four to one. I think if he doesn't get MVP, he will be you know, you know, uh, uh, supplemented by getting this defensive player of the year award because he was almost got it last year, but he got the MVP award instead. And I, I think this year he's not going to get it because he's not going to three-peat. They're just not going to vote for him because it's going to get stale. And so Giannis, I think, is the defensive player of the year at plus 400, and then Bam Adebayo, uh, a long shot play at plus 800 most improved player it's really hard to see who's going to take a, a big jump from years one to years two could see some michael porter jr but that's you know him is more injury related deandre ayton is just not being suspended because last year when he was playing he, he was just playing great 
none again it's it's really subjective and it's yet to be seen because basically it's who made the biggest leap in the off season when nobody was watching right so if we have a player that comes out this year and absolutely does you know goes bananas then great but this award is highly subjective and it's weird that it went to Brandon Ingram last year instead of maybe like Devontae Graham or somebody else that made a big leap between rookie years and years two or two and three or something like that I don't think Brandon Ingram really improved that much to earn this award as compared to some other people though he did make some big jumps moving from LA to New Orleans but I think this this and the six man of the year awards are both highly subjective as opposed to objective. So I tend to stay away from him. I'm, I'm really not like in a place to make make picks on six man of the year or most improved player. Maybe after I see preseason and see a couple second units um, and, and third units, depending on rotations of the teams, I'll be more inclined to make a pick on these. I'll let you guys know next week, but I have to see how rotations are going to be working on some of these teams that made bigger changes before I'm comfortable really picking any of those because I, I just don't think that it's it's smart <laughs> lastly here the last thing i want to get to you before we let you go is a breakdown of the division odds f- for you know each division who i'm picking as a winner sorry i got tongue-tied a little bit there so it's very clear, I think, in the Eastern Conference who the top picks for each division are, specifically because these divisions are, are kind of horrendous in the way that they're chopped up. Let me give you an example. So one division in the East has Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, Toronto, and the Knicks, right? All four of those teams have been in the playoffs recently with Brooklyn being I think the newest addition having made the biggest leap in the offseason but four out of the five of those teams you could make a case for them making a deep push in the playoffs correct okay so that's one division but then you look at it the next division and it has the Bulls the Cavs the Pistons the Pacers and the Bucks right the Bucks are a shoe in that potentially could grab the number one overall seed Pacers will be kind of on the bubble. The it depends on how Oladipo, T.J. Warren, and Sabonis plays, um, but they could be in that like six, seven, eight, potentially out of playoffs range. Maybe playing in the playoff games. But the Bulls, the Cavs, and the Pistons are definitely making up the bottom of the bracket here. And then, but it's so much of an imbalance when compared to what is called the Atlantic division which is what i named before the boston brooklyn you know knicks sixers and raptors um and it's so the division odds end up being a bit interesting so if we're looking at the atlantic division right boston brooklyn the knicks philly and toronto obviously the knicks have the worst odds to win the division right or the most long long shot odds at plus 15,000 so we obviously we can cross them off Toronto's at plus 350 Brooklyn's at plus 175 Philly's at plus 350 and Boston's at plus 250 going through the first half projections and again next week I'll be doing win totals Boston at 250 I think is the best play here because they have one of the easier schedules when it comes to back-to-backs, and 
they just have one of the better teams. They didn't make a ton of upgrades in the offseason, but I think getting rid of Gordon Hayward and freeing up that money is going to help them in the long run, and it also helps with just a chemistry rotation. Everybody kind of knows their place deal. Uh, so I would pick Boston at plus 250 to win the Atlantic Division. Milwaukee is minus 3,300 to win that Central East Division, and, and you would be a fool to bet anybody else. So I would highly recommend you stay away from anybody in that division. There's no way that the Pacers jump over the Bucks. I mean, barring some super COVID outbreak, Achilles terror, happens to Giannis type season for the Bucks. I just don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, I know it. The odds makers know it. The Bucks are going to win that division. Don't You don't have to bet on that. The last division in the East is the Southeast Division. This has the Hawks, the Hornets, the Heat, the Magic, and the Wizards. And based on that, of course, you know, Miami is the overall favorite at minus 250. And that could be a play, you know, for you. Basically, for every $25 you bet, you win $10. So it's it's pretty much just I want to, you know, make 20%, you know, return on my money. And, um, and it's a pretty safe bet because you can assume that Miami is just going to keep rolling where they left off. They could playing with a little FU edge from last year and what could have been in a, in a finals where they were plagued by injury. And you know, take the division. The only other team that I think is very sneaky here that could sneak in is actually there's two of them, Atlanta and Washington at plus 500 and plus 700 respectively. This would be one of those long shot plays where, and don't get me wrong, Atlanta last year was pretty horrendous, but again, younger team, they got some brand new pieces. They added a ton over the offseason that I think will help catapult them into a better position. But ultimately, they missed. Washington, on the other hand, has been the Bradley Beal show forever as they wait for John Wall to come back. He hasn't played in over two years and have pretty much upgraded him into Russell Westbrook, at least from a being able to play and knowing what he does right now. Right, Russell Westbrook has averaged over 26 points for the last five years. Tons of rebounds, tons of assists. Like guy plays like an absolute maniac. And Washington may be a team that a lot of people are sleeping on, especially with some of their role players like Davis Bertans. They got Denny Advija, which is was probably the best international prospect, the one that was most polished and ready to go now. So there is a world in that Washington has a great, you know first half of the season and falls follows it up with maybe a big uh, a trade acquisition or something like that later to acquire a missing piece and make a push to take this division and at plus 700 seven to one odds you know i i i can see a small play being done here just to, just for the value obviously i think miami is going to win but i do think washington might be able to sneak it out Atlanta also might be able to sneak it out, though I, I doubt it just based on I think that they have to see how their their new pieces work. And it's going to take them a while to ramp up to 
actually being able to like win games on a regular basis and compete on a regular basis. Atlanta has a little bit more of a journey than Washington does. Um, and ultimately Miami only got better with the addition of Avery Bradley. So I think their, their safety at minus 250 is, is put in place there. So that's the East moving over to the Western conference. We're looking at a bit of the same thing where we have one super stack division and a couple of meh kind of middle of the rung divisions. So starting with the Southwest, which has Dallas, Houston, Memphis, New Orleans, and San Antonio. Three teams that are, you know, young and up and coming and two teams that are a little bit more solid in where they've been. Um, Sorry, flip that. Two teams that are young and up and coming in Memphis and New Orleans and three teams that are a little bit older, a little more experienced and, and ready to go. And I guess Dallas would be somewhere in the middle of both of those. I would say the Spurs are out, though they may be an interesting, you know, yes to make the playoffs play. I think they're at plus 300. I tweeted it out the other day. But I don't think San Antonio, Memphis, or New Orleans have the schedule to allow them to win the division. So I think it's really between Dallas and Houston. I have them finishing as the sixth and seventh seeds tied for a first half record. And, and we'll get into win totals next week, but a quick sneak preview. I have Dallas and Houston both finishing at 23 and 14. Dallas, on one hand, is minus 180 to win the division, whereas Houston, on the other hand, is plus 325. So if in my mind, if I have these two teams have the exact same record and it comes down to a head-to-head game where Dallas plays Houston and the winner takes the division, I'm partial to lean towards Houston. I think they made some upgrades at the center by bringing in Boogie Cousins. John Wall is going to come back and be really playing to establish himself. He's not in a contract year, but he needs to establish that he still belongs in this league. James Harden, granted, has been fucking around, right? And there's nothing else to be said other than that James Harden has been fucking around lately. And he knows it. Everybody knows it. He's, you know, at the ice ball. He's flashing money, yada, yada. Like, that is his business for sure. If he just, you know... We we see players skip preseason and training camp. It doesn't mean that they're not there with the team from a work ethic standpoint. It's just literally just means they're not there because they're still out having fun, risking getting COVID and stuff like that before stuff matters. That's my take on James Harden. Not mad at him. It's his business. If he wants to go and do that, put himself at risk. That is fine. If he you know quarantines and doesn't bring it into the rest of the Houston organization, that is also fine kind of a dick move to steven silas and your new teammates and john wall and christian wood and boogie cousins to not be there to run through otas and practice and preseason and all that stuff and to paul george's point about the clippers last year where you know the injuries to him and Kawhi kind of messed up the chemistry because not everybody was there from the jump together that might happen to the rockets but at plus 325 it's hard for me to take a team that I see having the same record as the other best team in the division and betting them instead of the, and you know, betting minus 180 where you'd have to bet $18 to win 10 versus betting $10 to win 33. I think just Houston is a better play for value, right? And we're, we want to go for value. We don't want to go for, you know, 
crazy, crazy odds because otherwise we would just bet like Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Sacramento. Like we would bet them to win the division, and we're not doing that, right? I think Houston has a lot of value. I think over the past few years, like they've been a top seed, whether, you know, James Harden is playing with Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook, it doesn't matter much. So even if John Wall comes back at like 97%, they can probably still track down this division. So I have Houston at, at plus 325 winning the Southwest division. Next division here would be Northwest, and that has Denver, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Portland and Utah my pick out of these five and it really only comes down to three right either you're rolling with Denver you're rolling with Portland or you're rolling with Utah right Minnesota we don't know what the fuck's gonna go on there they got a lot of new pieces they got the number one overall pick to factor in um Oklahoma City basically has Shea Gilders Alexander and then that's it uh, so, you know, so I, I don't think they're going to win a ton of games. So it comes down to the other three, Denver, Utah, Portland. Out of those three teams on paper, Portland definitely made the biggest moves this offseason to upgrade a lot of their positions. They have players coming back off of injuries. CJ McCollum was playing with a broken back in the bubble and still pulling, putting up decent numbers. Hopefully that's healed by now. Like if the Blazers can stay healthy, which they haven't been able to for the past few years, right? For the past few years, the Blazers have not been able to stay healthy. I have them winning their division pretty handedly. And that's only based on their schedule having a little bit of easier back-to-backs. Again, we'll get into win totals next week. But based on scheduling purposes, I think that the Blazers have a decent setup to win it. And at plus 325, there's a ton of value in betting on a healthy Blazer squad to take down the division. Nuggets at plus 100, Jazz at plus 210. I think you can make arguments for either one of those. You know, the Nuggets kind of, you know, had a no, nobody believes in us playoffs and they had a, a lot of magic working for them, you know, overcoming two, three, one deficits, you know, and, and then, uh, ultimately falling to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals and they want to get back there. The Jazz basically look at the Nuggets and say, well, we were you guys and we were a Mike Conley three away from potentially being in the Western Conference Finals. So, you know, obviously Donovan Mitchell is going to come back and try and energize that team. Though the problem with the Jazz is I don't really like their second unit. I think that it, their first unit is rock solid, but I think their second unit is absolutely atrocious. And I think in this COVID season, the teams with deeper benches are going to go farther. So the Blazers at plus 325, I'm, I'm liking them more and more as as the days go on. And I'm excited to see them in preseason to see what they do. But that would be my pick for the Northwest Division. And lastly is the Pacific West Division. So this has the Lakers, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Kings, and the Suns. I think automatically we can scratch off the Kings. The Suns, like I said, they might take a little bit to ramp up, you know, Devin Book and CP3 and how they all play together and stuff. It's been quiet from Phoenix. We haven't heard anything from media camp about Phoenix over the last few days. And I'll, I'll definitely be tuning in to see them in the preseason, but I don't think that they will be better than the Lakers or the Clippers from a record standpoint. They have a bit of a tougher schedule. Um, the Lakers are minus 125 right now 
to win the division, and that's probably a, a decent bet. I mean, you bet 12 to win 10, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's pretty much even money to bet on the Lakers to win the division, and I don't see why they wouldn't unless they have a little bit of a championship hangover in December and just completely drop games through you know, mid-January, but I really don't see them doing that. They all have the added benefit of a little bit easier back-to-backs, um, and I have them, you know, finishing with probably the number one seed in the Western Conference, just, you know, based on the upgrades they made in the offseason. Like, they, the Lakers got squad, on paper, off paper, whatever you want to say, the Lakers got squad. And at minus 125, I think they're, they're a pretty good pick to win the di- division. The only other play I can see is is the Clippers, if you know, because now they're very similarly to some other teams. They're playing with a little bit of fu edge because of how much they imploded in the off season. Now they're in year two. Paul George just signed the big contract. Like the chemistry's there. There's no like, hey, are you leaving? Aspect. Um, so the Clippers at one fifty would be the only other play that I can see here. But I think the Lakers at minus 125, thanks to the strength of the rest of the division, gives you pretty good odds, and that would be my pick. So just to recap here, so we're all on the same page. For the West, I got the Lakers at minus 125. I got Portland at plus 325. I got Houston at plus 325. For the East, I got Boston at plus 250. I got Miami at minus 250. A smaller wager on Washington at plus 700 to win that division. And we're staying away from the division that has Milwaukee in it. Because there's no way that they don't win. For MVP, we're going Steph Curry at plus 700. Luka Doncic at plus 350. For Rookie of the Year, we got Anthony Edwards at plus 550. Coach of the Year, Monty Williams at plus 1,000. And defensive of the player of the year, we're going to take a long shot on Giannis at 4-1 to one and Bam at 4-1. to one. And that's the picks on the future so far. Hopefully, you know, you guys kept track of that. If not, I'm posting these picks on a daily basis at, at PJ Showcase on Instagram, at PJ Showcase on Twitter. Make sure, please, that you guys leave a review here if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or give me a follow if you're on Spotify. Once again, everybody, thanks for listening and and all the feedback. It's been really great to hear everybody go. Super excited to kick off the NBA preseason. And, you know, I hope you guys are excited as I am. We'll be back next week to do team win totals, a little bit of preseason recap, and kind of just get ready for the season to kick off. But until then, I'm PJ. This is the Showcase. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.